Good morning, beloved. My name is Bill Smith. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here. Privileged to be so. And uh, I'm going to be doing a four-part series, and we're going to be talking about being emotionally and spiritually mature in Christ. We're going to talk about how, even though we're saved and we try to go spiritually, that can be hindered or hampered or facilitated by how emotionally healthy we are. And so many people, they will sometimes indicate, I feel like I've gotten stuck, and we'll start to work with, well, where are you at emotionally? And they have a lot of issues and things going on in their lives, which prevents them from experiencing more of the Lord. So what you'll find, or what I find, is the more emotionally mature we can become, or more healing we get for what I call damaged emotions, uh, the actually easier it'll be to trust God and to love others. The scriptures indicate that there are several parts of us. In Deuteronomy 6.5, we see a reference to the heart, and soul, and strength. In Mark 12.30, we hear Jesus responding to the scribes when they asked him, which is the most important commandment? Remember that question? And he says, this is the most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and all of your strength. So Jesus was essentially quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, And he adds the term, the mind. Matthew reports on the same thing. So I've run into different colleagues who don't think there are actually different parts of us. I think there probably is. We're made in the image and likeness of God, who is a trinity. And so I think we are also, in some ways, a, a trinity as well. We'll see the term soul can include several aspects to include the body as well as the mental aspect of a person, at least in terms of how this term is used in Deuteronomy. In Mark, we hear Jesus making the mind a separate aspect of who we are. We'll see the importance of the mind and thoughts mentioned several places in Scripture, which we're going to talk about next week. I'm going to also propose a model next week that I think there's another trinity within the soul, which I'll call thoughts, feelings, and will, which again we're going to look at next week. So I'm going to change some of the terms, particularly uh, the word heart to emotions and mind, as we talk about and work through these, this, this uh, four series. The, the goal is to understand that it's important to have a healthy relationship between all the parts of who we are. You ever heard somebody say, I don't know, a part of me is just isn't comfortable with that? You've heard people say that? If somebody said that to me, I'll say, which, which part was it that wasn't comfortable? Let me talk to that part. <laughs> okay, there's different parts of us. And so today we're going to focus on the body. We're going to talk about the role of the body, which Steve already stole some of my thunder already, but that's okay, I asked him to. Uh, We're going to talk about its cravings that it has, which you may already know about, and we're going to talk about the body's proper place. So again, my goal is to get you to think about your own relationship with your body today and how to treat it with honor and dignity expressed in Scripture. Before we go any further, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you once again as your children, desperately seeking to know more about you and to know more about ourselves. We pray that you would open our mind and our heart and our body to receive the truths today that we need. I pray that you would look past the sins of the speaker, for they are many, and that you would speak through me to all of us, because we are here, and we are ready, and we are listening. Speak to us now. 
In Jesus' name we pray. So whenever we do a topical study like this, you know, we're working through Mark and we're exegeting these passages. When we go to a topical study, by necessity, we'll need to have lots of different scriptures to help support the concepts we're talking about. And I'm also going to be incorporating what I've learned over the years about psychology, not to replace scripture, but to expand upon what I think scripture is saying. When I, when I first began to study in this area, I eventually realized the best book on psychology was not the ones I studied in college. It's the Bible. It's the best book there is. So theology stands above all ologies. Psychology just is underneath that as an umbrella. Now, after this sermon, the service, I have a handout here. And in the handout, I'd encourage you to pick one up. I might ask uh, Steve if you would stand there and and hand them to people as they come out. Uh, And in that handout, there are several different assessments. One is an assessment of where you're at with regard to the body or the flesh. Another one is an an emotional assessment. And the last one is a a spiritual maturity assessment. I'm not going to hand those out now because I'm afraid you'll all be working on that and not paying attention to me because I'm the most important. No, I'm not. (laughs) So let's talk about the, the role of the body first. Okay, so we have really two terms in Scripture. We have the body, which is soma, and we have the word flesh, which is sarks. And they're, they're, they have overlapping meanings, but whenever we see the word body used in Scripture, we're talking about the physical body itself usually. Although when we talk about the body of Christ, we're talking about all the believers together. When we see this word flesh in the New Testament... Um, it also can mean the body, but it seems to also mean more than the body. And it's one of these difficult terms that translators deal with because they always have to look at what the context is for that word to see what were they talking about at that point. So the, the flesh can also refer to the essential human nature, which can also affect what's happening in the body. So we're going to focus more on the body today, but we're also going to address the flesh. The Bible tells us some explicit things about the role of the body. Some of them are implicit and some are explicit. The first, I think, is more implicit, and we find in Genesis 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And I think in that passage, for me anyway, it's easy for me to conclude that the body has one role of being able to experience God's creation, the beauty of God's creation. I'm sure you've all been places when you want a vacation or something or Mark's out sailing and you get struck by the wonders of God's creation. Um, I think there's also a a very explicit uh, reason for the body existing. And we see here in 1 Corinthians 6.19, as Steve just talked about, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So, Already, I think we have a potential application here for us to begin to relate to our body scripturally. And so, I'm going to guide you in a simple little application here. I'm going to say a sentence, 
and then you say the sentence. You can keep your eyes open on this one, though, okay? So here we go. Repeat after me. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I do not own my body. God owns my body. I choose to glorify God with my body. By honoring this gift he's given me. However, I choose not to worship my body. I only worship God. Amen? Amen. So, we're going to talk about the cravings of the body, and a, a point of, of departure here is in Romans 8, 1, 12. The word says, There is, therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law couldn't do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the ordinance of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For those who live according to the the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind of the flesh is hostile towards God, for it is not subject to God's law, neither indeed can it be. Those who are in the flesh can't please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If it is so that the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if any man doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. So as we begin to study this term flesh or sarks, we need an understanding of what it means in Scripture because this term is used about 390 times. Sometimes it means meat, sometimes it means the meat of an animal, and sometimes it means the meat or body of a person. So other times the body is talking about the flesh with respect to the needs of the body, which go contrary to the, to the, to the Spirit of God. We read about this in James, where we end up with inner conflict, a war within ourselves. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? How many have often experienced this inner conflict within yourself, right? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So when we read about the flesh in the above passages, the term flesh here I think is referring to the ways we've learned to gain acceptance or the ways we've learned to be comforted or the ways we've learned to get love. Since the flesh is our essential nature, it has an impact on the body. So at the fall of Adam and Eve, well, they didn't physically die. Their soma, their body, lived. What died is the part of them that was able to relate to God. So they died spiritually and were left with a nature that is living in their soma, in their body, 
that could no longer relate to God, but it could be influenced by the enemy. See, the body comes from the earth. Satan, for a time being, has power over the earth, but it really belongs to Jesus, so it's going to all change. So Adam and Eve die that day, and they become spiritually dead to God, and all of their offspring, including us, are born in the same condition of what I call born dead to God. So when we're first born, we begin to work on some things. Anybody know who this is? That's my granddaughter. That's little Rosebud. Rosie Rose, we call her. Okay. We're first born, we begin to get the working on our basic needs. Or you might say the body begins to make demands to get its needs met, to feel comfortable, to feel secure. Being born apart from God, the body does not know how to get those needs met. So we didn't have access to God to get our needs met. So we learned to find ways to get fed, to get our diaper changed, to get put to rest and so on, so we can become comfortable. And the first technique we learned to use... Anybody care to guess? Crying, right? And what did we learn about crying? Works. Works. (laughs) Fortunately, when people come to work, they stop using that technique to get their needs met. Or do they? (laughs) Sometimes I'm in meetings and I'm looking at somebody all upset and I'm thinking somebody needs a nap or a diaper change or a bottle or something, right? You know there's no crying in heaven, don't you? No crying in heaven. Praise God, right? In hell... Non-stop. It's called wailing and gnashing of teeth. So as long as our physical needs are being met, then we begin to work on getting our emotional needs met, and we, we wonder if we belong here. We wonder if we're acceptable. See, if we were born alive to God, we would already know that we're acceptable. But being apart from him, we try to get those needs of acceptance met, and who else might we work on as the people around us? And since they gave me milk... I'm going to milk them for my love need. And kids are basically successful or basically unsuccessful at getting accepted or getting love. See, the challenge we face because of the sin in the world is is that we had very little knowledge or understanding or wisdom at that time. So it was quite possible to easily misinterpret what's going on with respect to the kingdom of God. So there are advantages to being childlike. Joanne talked last week about the importance of being childlike with respect to being able to enter the kingdom of God. There are advantages to being childlike in that way, depending on and trusting in our true caregiver. There are also some disadvantages to being childlike. When we're children, we're vulnerable to learning things incorrectly. So that's one of the big disadvantages. A child will interpret everything around them as though it's about them. One of the things we always do as parents is we need to teach our kids the parts of their face. It's an important thing. We have to teach them that. Well, I'm not sure why, but we do it. I think we're afraid during the job interview, and the last question you get the job is, please point to your nose. Sorry. (laughs) We tell a child, touch their cute little button nose. All children have cute little button noses. Nose, 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 nose. You know what the child learns? I have something on the front of my face that's called a nose, and it looks like that big honking thing over there. (laughs) Completely wrong, but that's what they learn. They lack the ability to be other-oriented. See, it doesn't occur to a child that um, when dad comes home after a bad day 
and he doesn't give the normal affection. The child doesn't think, oh, poor dad's had a bad day. I'll, I'll forgive him for not paying attention to me. What's the child think? Something's wrong, and it's probably my fault because I didn't get my hugs and kisses. The child is learning completely wrong. That's why I sometimes jokingly say kids are idiots. But I say that jokingly because when I was a kid, I was the biggest idiot of all, right? But we learn things wrong all the time, and we have an enemy who is trying to encourage this incorrect learning. So as a result of that, a child can develop one of three types of flesh. I call them rejection flesh, performance flesh, and USDA choice flesh. So let's talk about rejection flesh. This is the child that, no matter what they did, couldn't seem to get the attention or affection or love from the people that are supposed to do that. They didn't appear to be worth loving. The child's thinking, I must be worth something less than being loved. I must be worth less than that. I'm worthless, worthless. And if this happened, then the child might develop an identity of being worthless or being a reject. I'm a reject. I don't belong. I'm a loser. I'm yucky. I can't be loved. And that's what the enemy wants the child to think. The enemy I call the accuser, deceiver, and destroyer. By the way, you notice how young the enemy starts messing with people from birth. That is, if he can't get to them in the womb. Now he's going to get to them out of the womb. The enemy works constantly to attempt to choreograph a child's self-perception. So people who have this rejection flesh, they tend to struggle through life. They find it hard to make friends. They find it unbelievable that God loves them. They'll tend to behave towards others in a way that almost forces the other person to reject them in some way. A study just last year in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin revealed that individuals with low self-esteem, what I call rejection flesh, are more likely to try to get support from others with behaviors like sulking and whining and displaying sadness in an effort to get that support. The irony is those very behaviors lead to greater negative interactions and more rejection. And then the rejection actually makes sense to them subconsciously because that's who they believe they are. And so they deserve to be rejected. This is completely wrong, by the way, but this is what we can learn. If someone tries to accept them, it might feel nice at first, but then after a while it becomes scary because this acceptance can mean something. Perhaps I've made a mistake. Perhaps I am acceptable. Oh no, maybe I've been living my life completely wrong. Am I that stupid to conclude I'm unlovely when I really am? Have I made a huge mistake? I better test this person's love to see if it's real or it's just an act. And then the reject will test the other person's love to the point that finally the other person will do what? They just had had enough of it and they'll reject them. And then the person, the reject leaves with, I know, I was right all along, I'm a reject, no one can love me. It's just validating the very wrong thing that they've learned. This feels more normal. I'm a reject, I always have, I always will be. That's the thinking, wrong thinking, and it sits in the body. Now, if this person gets saved, then they can. They will establish a relationship with the Lord. However, they'll be attracted to any scriptures that talk about the depravity of man, <laughs> that, about, the, about how people are just terrible. And they'll never really believe God loves them, but just tolerates them. They never notice that the scriptures, when they talk about people in a negative way, 
God is referring to the unsaved or the unregenerated. The notion that there are no creation in Christ doesn't make sense. It can, that can all be healed, but that's what happens for some people. And to some extent, all of us probably have a little bit of that flesh in some ways. There's nobody who's purely one of the three. Other kids are more successful, I call this performance-based flesh. They're successful at getting accepted. They learn to do things that seem to please others, please those caregivers. The first time they smiled, they might have noticed the caregiver noticed them and smiled back. Then the child starts smiling more and starts doing all kinds of tricks. Then comes turning over and crawling and sitting up and walking, jumping, sitting, singing, somersaults, painting, report cards. It just continues on. The good news for these kids is they are being accepted. The bad news is they're slightly aware that it's actually their behavior that's getting accepted. Their performance is getting accepted. The performer is probably being rejected. They aren't really sure if they're being accepted or is it just their performance. So they learn a conditional love and they think this way. Well, at least my performance gets me some acceptance. But I better keep up the act or they might stop loving me. Everybody has a little bit of that going on, right? I better do it or I won't be loved or accepted by people. The love I receive from my performance doesn't seem to last very long, though, so I need to keep doing it. I'm starting to really resent these people who love me because they make it so draining on me. How can I resent the people who love me? That's not right. That just proves I'm probably no good and I can't really be loved. It's called a flesh trip. So frustrating. Life stinks. But keep smiling. Keep performing. If these people get saved, you know what they're going to do with respect to God. They're going to focus on figuring out what they need to do to get acceptance from God. And they'll live out a works-based relationship with God, even though the scriptures say what about our works before the Lord? (laughs) They're like filthy rags. Then there's this other category I call USDA choice flesh or the born winner flesh. These are people who show up on planet Earth with very attractive physical features, either in terms of beauty or maybe athletic ability, natural talent or some, some sort. Worst case scenario, they have a little of both. These people seem to have made it. They walk into a room and everyone loves them right away. Everyone wants to be around them or near them in some way. These are the most miserable people on the planet. Why is that? Because deep down they have this nagging awareness that people are only accepting, accepting their appearance or their talent. These are the people that start to panic when they get older. <laughs> and they're working on the Botox stuff and all this kind of stuff, looking for all kinds of ways to appear younger and more attractive. You know, and I worry about that a little bit when I start to get old someday that I might... What are you laughing about? Okay, I'm already there. This is why many celebrities get involved with drugs and alcohol. Ever wonder they have it made, these million-dollar mansions, and with this next thing, an overdose on drugs or alcohol, all these problems they have, because they're trying to numb the pain of not being accepted, so the body becomes kind of a curse to them. If they do get saved, and they do, because God can save anybody, they'll keep up the act, and they'll keep a distance from others, and won't get too involved in the church in case someone discovers what's really going on. But they tend to feel ugly or lonely. My youngest sister is one of these people, that, and I was telling my mom about this, 
and how they can feel ugly. But I ne- never knew how my sister felt about herself. And my mother, my mother said, your sister says this about herself all the time, that she's ugly. And of course, everybody's like, <laughs> you're gorgeous. We wish you had your looks, but no, she's, she feels ugly all the time. So, <clears throat> if they get saved, it's, it's going to be good for them, but bad for them. So this term flesh refers to the patterns we've learned to gain acceptance. However, if you've been born of the Spirit, you no longer need to depend on your flesh. You're off the hook. Your most important need of love and acceptance has been completely taken care of for you. And so you can relax, knowing that your Creator, the one who knows you the best and knows you the most, also loves you the most. So let's talk about the body in its proper place. So the body has these cravings. It tends to get hungry. It needs food. It needs rest. It gets older and gets married. It might need intimacy. It wants to feel safe. It wants to feel acceptance. But I want to make a point here that the body is not the bad guy. Let me repeat that for you. The body is not the bad guy. Remember in creation, everything God created after he created it, he saw that it was what? He saw that it was good. Now, while the creation of Adam, that is not said about Adam, for me, it's fairly safe to assume that if everything he created, he saw that it was good, then when he created Adam, he created a pretty good body. Okay? It's been deteriorating over time, but I think that was a pretty good body he created for Adam. So, while the body is not the bad guy, since the body comes from the earth, the real bad guy has access to the body, and particularly the brain, which I'm going to talk about more next week. The bad guy can't control us, but he can make suggestions in first-person singular. (laughs) So it sounds like you talking about yourself. I'm such a loser. Really? Where'd you get that from? And I think that's true. Well, it's not from God. (laughs) Not from you, a former enemy who is that smart, who is that powerful. Of course, not as powerful as the Lord, but he can make suggestions like that. So we're going to talk about that more in upcoming weeks. So, there's nothing wrong, really, with meeting the needs of the body. I like to say, let's keep it simple. If the body is hungry, you feed it. But it doesn't need to eat all the time. If it's sleepy, then sleep it. However, it doesn't need to lay in bed all day long. My personal favorite. Okay. I can stay in there as long as I can. That's what I'm doing. But it's not really necessary. So keep it in perspective then. If it feels intimate, hug it. If it feels unsafe, reassure it. It wants acceptance. So accept it. If we don't treat the body with proper balance and discipline, then the body will take over and we become victims of the body. It ends up feeling like the body is in charge and you aren't. If the body ever gets a chance to learn that you are in charge, it will come around to work with you towards your goals, but it needs to know your goals. Your body communicates with you. First, in terms of cravings, the body makes demands we've talked about. Secondly, the body communicates with us with an intent to help. But the body doesn't understand everything that's going on. But it does sense when something seems to be off. Something seems to be wrong. You've all had that feeling. Something seems off, but you can't really pinpoint what's going on. For example, most people 
who travel have difficulty sleeping in the hotel room that first night. Anybody ever notice that? I do. And I've traveled a lot. And years ago when I learned what's going on here, I realized what the body is doing. It doesn't recognize this room. This is not where I sleep. So this might not be a safe thing. So what's it do the first night? keeps vigilance to protect you from getting hurt. So what I started doing, and I'm, you can laugh at me if you want to, and it seems silly. What I do now, as soon as I get into the room, I unpack stuff, which there's a miracle going on there, because in two minutes I can have stuff all over that room. I don't know how I do it. It's one of my gifts. <clears throat> but then I sit on the bed, sit, sit on the side of the bed, and I talk out loud so my body can hear. And I say, this is my hotel room for the next three nights. This is where I'll be staying. It's safe for me to be in this room. There's the lock on the door. Here's the escape route. And I just talk out loud to my body. And ever since I started doing that, my first night in the hotel room, sound asleep. So the body doesn't need to keep vigilance to protect me. So, in two weeks, we're going to talk about emotions. And I'll reiterate some of the things I'm saying today because I wanted to start with the body first because in the next three talks, we're going to come back to the body here and there to see what's happening in terms of the relationships. The body gets stressed. It will attempt to find ways to deal with the stress. Being born is perhaps the most physically stressful event you'll ever experience in your life. Pretty tough. The body gets all stressed out. It's going to try to find a way to calm itself down. Of course, soon after being fed, that calmed us down, and so we made a connection with food and stress management. That's why we have something called comfort food, right? That's why the body tends to seek pleasure and to avoid pain, both physically and emotionally. Now, by the way, it's still going to be okay to participate in the chili cook-off today. That's going to be fine, okay? So I'm going to talk about the conscious and subconscious or unconscious mind, which I think in Scripture is called the heart. The unconscious mind has three roles. It's running the body. It protects the body. It also goes after goals. I call it the goal-getter. We'll talk more about that. The question I want to ask you, though, is what's your attitude towards your body? Do you despise it or do you love it? Do you reject it or do you accept it as a gift from God? Do you let it panic or do you reassure it? Stop listening to your body and start talking to it. If your relationship with your body needs help, then do what you would do to build any relationship. You would communicate. Thank it for all it has done to try to support you. Forgive, you body, forgive your body if you think there have been times when you felt your body failed you. Finally, ask your body for forgiveness, for listening to it too much and not giving it direction. So the body needs discipline, but it does not need punishment. The body responds to loving discipline. It wants to work with you and for you. It was designed that way by our Creator. In your hand that I talked about, there's a flesh assessment. It's not statistically validated or tested for reliability. I just provide it for you as a tool to get you to think about that relationship you have with your body. I find that most people are not just one of those three types of flesh, but a combination of the three. So I encourage you to give thoughtful consideration to whatever areas of your life your flesh is acting out or going on what I call a flesh trip. So in conclusion, we've started this series talking about the body. We talked about its role to experience God's creation and all of its glory and to serve as a temple for the Holy Spirit so we can experience God himself. 
We talked about how the body will develop cravings related to acceptance, which will result in a combination of one of three types of flesh. The conflict we experience most often when we get saved is dealing with this battle between the cravings of the body to acquire self-satisfaction and the Spirit's desire for us to depend on God for abundance of life. And finally, we talked about the importance of keeping the body in its proper place by establishing a healthy relationship with it. Remember, the body is not the bad guy. But there is a real bad guy who attempts to divert us, to distract us. We can rely on the Spirit to give us discernment regarding the real truth. So I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself and God with respect to your relationship with your body. Have you embraced it as a gift or have you resented it? Or are you pleased or happy with your body? Do you wish you had a better body? Do you listen and respond to the cravings a bit too much, like I often do? Are you willing to meet the body's needs and stop giving in to its greeds? Are you willing to work with, but not for your body? Have you told your body your goals? Is it what you're trying to do? It's trying to work with you. And remember that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I enjoy coming into your presence with praise on my lips. I enter boldly because of the work of your Son, my Savior, who came and rescued me. I want to praise you then because you are all-knowing, all-powerful, and you are everywhere. You hold the Adam and the universe together by your word. Through Jesus, you have created all things, including my body. I haven't thought much about my body in terms of what your word says, so I want to thank you for my body, for the way you designed it, for the talents and abilities it has, some of which I might not even know about. I acknowledge that you paid a steep price for my body and for the rest of me. I belong to you. My body belongs to you. My body is a temple for your Holy Spirit. With your help, knowledge, wisdom, and power, I will take on the task of caring for the gift of my body as a way to glorify you. I worship you alone. I do not worship my body, nor do I worship any other person's body. I praise you that you made me a part of the body of Jesus, who is the head of the body, and I get to be one of the parts. I will only address the needs of my body and no longer address the greeds of my body. I ask that you forgive me of all the times when I put my body's cravings before my relationship with you. I understand that you have cravings, and I am one of those cravings. Give me a desire to crave more of you and less of myself. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. I am yours forever. You are mine forever. I will move forward today in this knowledge. Please keep these truths ever at the forefront of my mind, and I will praise your name forever. Amen. And before you're dismissed, I uh, just want to let you know I'm happy to talk with anybody. 
about this topic more if you have questions. After this series is over, sometime maybe in March, uh, I, along with Joanne and David Hagemeyer, will be offering a one-day workshop entitled, related to this series entitled Victorious Christian Living. Among the topics we'll talk about is sleep, um, weight management, and anxiety management. Details are forthcoming.